You're listening to Making a Living Show. I'm Roby Levy. Hi, I'm Samuel Engelking, and I make photos for a living. Samuel Engelking is an editorial, commercial, and portrait photographer based in Toronto. He's that rare breed of shooter whose love of light, lenses, and learning everything he can about photography has taken him all over North America, shooting celebrities and notable personalities as the staff photographer at Canada's premier alternative weekly, Now Magazine. Here's my chat with Samuel Engelking. Who are you and what do you make for a living? All right. Uh, well, my name is Samuel Engelking. I'm a photographer in Toronto, Ontario. I focus on portrait, editorial, and commercial work. How did you get into photography? Um, so I got into photography in my uh, in my last year of high school. That's um, basically when I, I discovered the medium as an interesting art form and as a science. So um, somehow I just started um, flipping through pages of like Time magazine. I was seeing photojournalistic images, capturing like historical um, events in such interesting and artful ways that uh, it just really attracted me. And uh, I decided that uh, this is something I wanted to do. So I started reading about photography. I had discovered um, this like encyclopedia set of photography in my high school library. And this, this thing was like ancient. There were like five <laughs> books. It was a whole series and they just like reeked of like, you know, that old book smell. It had dusty pages. I would flip <laughs> through these things and I was reading it and it just um, captivated me. You know, I felt like I was reading about alchemy or magic. It was just absolutely fascinating. I became obsessed and I started like skipping classes to go to the library and read these books. And for about six months or so, half a year, I was just reading these books every day, just taking it all in. And at the same time, I started saving up for, for a camera. Um, so by the time I finally got my hands on a camera, uh, this was the film days too, mind you. Yeah, I started taking some shots and the results were great because I already had this wonderful foundation of like the principles and the, the technical aspects of photography. And I was able to apply that to um, the pictures I was taking right away. So I was like static at the results and that just further... Uh, furthered my interests in uh, in photography. So at that point, I decided to go to school. So I went to school for photojournalism. Where'd you go? I went to Loyalist College in Belleville, Ontario. So there's only two schools in Canada that offer a program in photojournalism. It was either move to Belleville or move to BC. And Do you feel like you made the right decision? Uh, actually, in retrospect, I probably should have. <laughs> Scenic <to> Belleville? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it was close to home. So uh, yeah, so I got the, uh, the advantage of... Uh, you know, home meals, home cooked meals, and uh, visits back to Toronto. So you, you you read all these books, then you got a camera. However, many months later, then you were able to apply stuff. And and but you said it was the last year of, of high school. So when did you actually go and enroll in school? Did you take a couple of years off and shoot a bunch of stuff, or did you just know at that point? You no, I knew at that point. Yeah, I knew I knew it at that point. There was uh, nothing else I wanted to do. So um, yeah, I pursued it right after high school. Went right into it, and um, it was it was fantastic. It was. Like for the first time, I started really enjoying school. You know, I was never a, a good student, uh, never found a topic that I was interested in. But once I discovered uh, things I was interested in, um, I became a really good student. So well, so what led you to pull those books off the shelf? Like what was it that piqued your interest? You know, I, I, uh, I think about this sometimes and, and I'm not really sure. It was, um, it's interesting how, yeah, sometimes things happen in your life and you're just drawn to something. You can't explain why, but... It just happened. It was. It wasn't like this lead up to it. It was just. It happened so quickly. That's great. That's very fortunate reading. Good use of the Dewey Decimal System. It almost feels like <laughs> destiny. 
So you got to school, and uh, this is for photojournalism, then. But what's photojournalism? What's the, what, what kind of photography is that? Right. So photojournalism is basically newspaper photography slash like documentary photography. It's the you know the act of um, recording events, but it goes beyond that. A photojournalist might have to do a food assignment or a portrait of a person on location, or you know, it might be a studio shot or. Um, it could be a hard news uh, event. It could be something that just happened um, and you got to get down there and, and capture it. Or it could be a press conference. Like it literally could be anything. So a, a photojournalist is basically a jack of all trades in terms of photography. In terms of the skill of photography, but you're chasing a story, right? Like there's, there's always a, there's a target moving or otherwise that you're going out to grab. Yep. Is it safe to say that like documentary though, I, I know doc in film tends to push the limits at times, but is there a purity to it? In other words, do you mess with it? Do you get involved in the scene that's happening? Or are you just an observer, anthropologically speaking? Right. You're, just, you're supposed to be recording an event? Or can you be a part of it? Or is there some play there? That's a great question, actually. Um, typically, at least what we learned in school is that you know, it should be more stick out a fly on the wall approach. So it's very much like an anthrop anthropological um, study in the sense that you are just there documenting the story and not so much getting involved. If you go on Netflix and you hit the documentary, you know, genre, a lot of those things are not documentary in its truest form. Yes. It's, it's, uh, it's flirting with reality TV. It's, it's playing with dictating the story. Is that what photojournalism, does that have that kind of play as well? Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. So in photojournalism, there isn't, um, there isn't a lot of play, uh, you're really, you're really not supposed to mess with with the reality of the situation. In fact, it's really, it's a really serious thing. Like it could get you blacklisted with newspapers. Um, that there have been um, occurrences of photojournalists like losing um, titles and prizes and awards um, because afterwards it had come to light that a photo had been manipulated in some way. So, yeah, really, like photo manipulation has, is has to be non-existent. You know, you might just do a a few adjustments in terms of like, you know, increasing the brightness of an image a bit or in back in the day, you know, you were allowed to get rid of the specs that were on the film, stuff like that. But really, you're not supposed to alter the image. I think that I think things may be loosening up a little bit, just given the whole nature of, um, you know, where the medium is at and and such. But um, for the most part, yeah, it, it's pretty straight. You're saying in today's day and age, there's a little bit extra that may be asked of the photojournalist because you said you are going to go out, you're going to do journalism, but you may be also be asked to do a, a, a portrait as part of this assignment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So in that sense, you know, that's a portrait. That's more of a creative endeavor. Whereas if you're capturing an event, right, you you wouldn't want to alter that event because then it's it's not truthful and objective. But if you're capturing, uh, if you're doing a portrait, then you know there's obviously. Uh, you're not playing so much with reality. You're you're telling a story. So the portrait that you're taking would be in the context of an editorial story, and your job would be to somehow try and convey some piece of that uh, in your photo. So that's effectively asking the photojournalist to be two types of photographer. Yes, interpret. And probably above and beyond, I think you said as well. Like sometimes you're sent out to do, let's say, um, a piece on food. Well, all of a sudden now you're. You've got to have some food stylists, uh, you know, yeah. an, an eye for it, at least. Right, right. Is this something that, that you knew was going to become the, the, the evolution of your photojournalism? Did you know you were going to have to add these extra skills, these different... No, I did not know. <laughs> I, I, I knew very little about what a photojournalist actually did when I went to school for it. You just knew, little. snapshot, looks good, get yeah. it in the, yeah. Get yeah, it in the yeah. magazine. 
Right. I, yeah, I had no idea that, you know, you'd be such a generalist, um, which is partly due to why, like, um, halfway through school, I, I realized, like, that photojournalism wasn't really the right uh, avenue for me. Um, it didn't change the fact that I wanted to be a photographer, but I realized at that point that I wanted more creativity. I wanted more control over what I shot and how I shot it. So uh, I didn't end up pursuing that uh, route. And um, yeah, I became more of a portrait photographer, um, editorial photographer. And uh, yeah, and I also, you know, dabble in some commercial work as well. What drew you to portraits? Um, faces. Uh, I love faces. People are the most interesting subjects on the planet in, in my opinion. And um, I love the ability to connect with someone and create beautiful images and craft and shape light. And uh, it's, it's always different. Um, and uh, yeah, there's just uh, infinite possibilities where, where you can take that image, right? Whereas with uh, photojournalism, if I'm shooting an event, I'm very much restricted by what's right in front of me. And I literally have no control. And for me, like the pleasure in photography is is the creative process and the act of uh, crafting something. So when you're going to sit down and, and do a portrait with somebody, take me through a little bit about what the creative process is. Because for a lot of people, it's sit on this stool. Uh, yeah. I'm going to you know, point the flash up right. in the air and uh, you know, I'm going to snap it. Like, Why does it take time to get a good portrait? Sure. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of things that go into it. And obviously, it's, it's different for everyone and it depends on what the portrait is for. Um, honestly, like the most satisfying work is, is the personal work that I do because that's when I get to be as creative as I possibly can be. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it, everything, there are many factors up here. So I go from wardrobe choice to, to lighting to, you know, background. Um, what does the person look like? How can we, you know, play up certain features or play down certain features? Um, are we, you know, really trying to create a mood or are we just trying to um, create a nice professional, personal image for their business? Or, or are we, you know, are we just going to go out creative? Like, for example, um, I had shot a couple of images for um, a film poster and it's a series of images for a film and they're um, inspired by Carbaggio. Sorry, I'm trying to get this name right. Carbaggio? Yeah, Carbaggio. <laughs> so it was really dark, low-key lighting, uh, very painterly. Um, and that was just an absolute blast. So for that, we had to get the right wardrobe, wardrobe that reflected that time period. We had to get props. Um, things had to be lit very specifically. We had to use the right light modifiers to get the same quality of light um, that Carbaggio would have, you know, would have imitated. Um, there, there were so many factors at play, but um, in the very end, like we got images that, that came very close to the the painterly style that he's very known for. You keep using we. Who's we? Oh, yes. Um, so again, like portraiture, uh, specifically, and in, in many other like um, many other genres in photography, are a collaborative process, right? So I worked with my subjects. I worked with a prop stylist, uh, my assistant. And uh, together we, you know, we had a vision that we were trying to achieve and it was a collaborative process. Everybody had a part to play and we wouldn't have been able to achieve the end results without that process. So we, we all have to be on the same page and we're all working together um, towards a singular vision. When you're out doing journalism, you're shooting what's out there, what's available to you, including light, including the subject, including even your perspective is sometimes not up to you. You could be 
shoved over into the press, you know, pool and, and just have to hold a camera up in the air and hope you're shooting something in focus. Exactly. When you're doing a portrait, you're generally, generally in a controlled environment, like a studio or perhaps somebody's place of work or, or some sort of environment where you have free reign to bring these people and these props and these sets together. Correct. Correct. And even if I was like outside, you know, I'd still have the, um, I'd still have the potential to take control of my environment through using modifiers to shape and sculpt the light. I could cut the intensity of light or I could bounce light into shadow areas. There's, there are a lot of tools available that would allow you to do that. But if you're on a photojournalism assignment, it's like shooting an event and you won't have that kind of control. And when you're talking about modifiers, you're talking about flags, you're talking about yep. you know, basically like bounces, exactly. So anything that's going to actually send the light or cut the light or diffuse the light. Diffuse the light, yeah, exactly. And for those people that are into film and video, much the same tools, many Absolutely. of the same requirements in order to, to, to shape and augment and, and control exactly. the light. So you just told us about a, you, you had a specific theme you were trying to hit, a specific look you were trying to go for. When you're doing your own stuff, where do you look for inspiration? Lately, um, I'd say Pinterest is just too easy. It's my go-to. There's just, you know, such a plethora of images on there from, from painters to sculptures to, you know, photographers. In fact, it can be a difficult <laughs> place to go for inspiration because there's so many amazing images um, it can be a little disheartening because you're like, how am I ever going to create stuff like this? Right? <laughs> so in some ways it's, <laughs> it can work against you, but, um, yeah, it's, it's a great place to find um, sources of inspiration and you can just like pin things and create a mood board and, um, you're off to the races. So that's um, typically my go-to these days. More so than like Instagram, for example. Yeah. More so than Instagram. Although Instagram is great as well. Um, yeah, I, I have started using Instagram as well, saving images off of that. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't, I don't find Instagram to be quite as uh, easy to collect things and manipulate yeah. things, and it's easy to find individuals that I find interesting, yeah. but not necessarily specific pieces to put something together, as you're saying, into a mood board or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I won't go to Instagram specifically to search for things, but when I, when they come up, I'll save them and you know hopefully like go back and look at them later. But Pinterest is uh, the tool that I use to uh, to look for specific inspirations. And what about block? What about running into a situation where you just have no idea what the hell you, you, everything you look at you've done before, or you've seen someone else do better than you, or, you know, that you, that you think you could do. What do you do to, to combat that? Um, you know, like there's never really a block because there's always stuff that I want to try. There's, there are always things out there that, um, that inspire me or that, um, I haven't done. There's no end to it. There's no end to it. So, um, it's mainly, maybe it's, um, Maybe staying motivated uh, can be, no, not even that. Um, no, I always want to shoot. So it's not really a problem with inspiration. Honestly, it's time's more the thing. Like there's never enough time. <laughs> Do you enjoy the post process as much as you enjoy the shooting? Like, I, I, you know, I, I know a lot of cinematographers that they're like, some of them love to shoot and some of them love to color. You know, they, they love yeah. different elements. They love, some love the lenses, some love the, right. you know, love the, the modifiers, love the, the love the light. Mm -hmm. what's the what's that that favorite process for you yeah for me it would be the lighting um i don't enjoy the post as much um i don't mind and it can be relaxing to a degree but you know when you have a big backlog of post-production work and you're sitting in front of the computer for hours and hours on <laughs> end i mean that's not really what i got into this for um but uh, yeah that being said i try and, and keep the the um, post-production to a minimum unless it's absolutely required for a job 
Um, but I prefer, I really want my images to, to look like photography and not like photo manipulations. So um, yeah, I, I keep the Photoshop to a minimal. And uh, I would say my, my favorite part of the process is, is just lighting. You know, that's what got me into photography was, was lighting. Um, the images that, that caught my eye, they got me interested in the medium, all come down to, you know, spectacular lighting, um, dramatic lighting. Um, so yeah, that's, that's really where I get full satisfaction and enjoyment from. It's the process of lighting. You said that uh, much of your early interest in photography came from some books you found. Are, were there some notable names that, that, that popped out, some examples that have, have stayed with you and have kind of shaped your photographic path? Yeah, I, I would say the one that stands out the most, which is actually like a photojournalist who, who shot a lot of dark and moody images. Um, his name is uh, Eugene Smith. And he was uh, well known for, for covering um, a lot of <laughs> travesties in the world. Um, and he was sort of a, a dark and moody character himself. Um, I think that was definitely in part due to the, you know, the many tragedies that he covered in the span of his career. Was this a wartime type of photography? Yeah, yeah, uh, famines in Ethiopia, uh, war, conflict zones, um, things of that nature. Have you ever shot anything in that vein? No, no, I have not. Um, yeah, and I don't. I don't think I could. I'm too sensitive a person. <laughs> There's no way. I, I don't know how how, how they do it. Um, Sebastian Salgado is um, a Brazilian photographer who's done amazing documentary work um, covering the world of work. Um, he's documented workers all over South America, Latin America, um, from like tuna fishermen to gold miners. Uh, really interesting work. It's it's. Um, he's one of my favorite all-time photographers. What draws you to that? Um, maybe because it's so different than the work that I create myself. Um, I think that's, that's probably, that's probably it. There's always a fascination with the things that I am not necessarily, um, capturing or photographing or that I, I don't have as much knowledge of. So then, you know, there was a time when, when studio lighting and studio photography was, I was kind of obsessed with learning it because I didn't know anything about it. So it was a frontier that I just had to discover. And um, yeah, I spent, um, I spent a good couple of years just really kind of honing and crafting my knowledge of, of studio lighting. Where were you finding that information? Like how we, did you take courses? Was there uh, someone mentored you? So that was an aspect that was lacking in my photojournalism education because it's just not a component that's, um, that's stressed. Um, I mainly learned that through assisting. Um, I assisted some photographers uh, over the span of about a year. And in that year, I mean, I learned so much. It gave me the confidence to invest in equipment and then to start like playing around in the studio by myself. And um, yeah, from there, you know, I was able to, to learn pretty quickly. It sort of uh, helped demystify the whole um, studio environment and how to use the equipment. Now, of course, like on YouTube, there's, there's a lot of videos, so it's, it's a lot more accessible. But back in the day, it was a whole different story. You said, you know, you went to the studio and started playing around with who, who was your subject at that point? Who, who were your first people that you brought in? Um, and you know what, anybody who was willing to be photographed. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, uh, in order to build a portfolio, I would, um, uh, I would just look for interesting people. Um, I would just, uh, I might approach a stranger or I might, um, you know, find someone online. There's so many different ways. I might contact someone on Instagram. I might, uh, you know, there's sites I might contact a modeling agency ask to um, work with some of their new talent. Uh, yeah, there's many different ways to, to find subjects. And and agencies were okay sending out to, let's say, a, a less than known photographer at the time? 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're always happy to um, send their, the new talent to, to, you know, uh, emerging photographers. So um, yeah, it's, it's a wonderful marriage because the, the models need the practice, the photographers need the practice. It's an opportunity for both people to, to build a portfolio. And in terms of building a portfolio, what should somebody be looking to build? Like, is there, a, is there a number of projects? Is there a certain types of projects that they should be, that you should be able to show that you're capable of to build a sort of a general portfolio? Because I guess a lot of people don't necessarily know what they're going to specialize in when they're first starting out, right? That's right. So what would you sort of suggest to somebody would be a, a good starter package effectively? Yeah. And well, in order to market yourself, you definitely want um, a sort of a cohesive um, portfolio and you want it to be focused, you definitely, in most cases, you're not going to want a general portfolio. Now, that being said, it did work out well for, <laughs> for me. Uh, and for, the, for a long time, uh, I felt like that was a, a weakness because my, my portfolio was um, a little too general and too broad, but uh, it ended up landing me a job at Now Magazine and it just happened to be that they needed somebody with a very general skill set, but um, those jobs are extremely rare, so um, it was sort of a lucky break. But um, yeah, for the most part, you you know you need to find what it is you love to shoot, and then shoot the hell out of it and um, build a, a solid, solid portfolio. And hopefully, you can showcase that you have a specific style, um, because really, that's what people are looking for when they're hiring a photographer. They want to know what they're going to get, right? They don't want to be surprised. Now, I'm an amateur photographer or picture taker or hack, as I like to refer to myself. Um, and, and one of the things that that, that sort of uh, has come up for me on numerous occasions, I'm sitting there, I'm looking at my stuff, and sometimes it looks a little bit like somebody's, and sometimes it looks like a little bit like somebody else's. But I can definitely say at no point in time do any of my pictures ever look definitively like an original Roby Levy. They just don't. I don't have a style. I'm lucky to get what I get and I, I fall the ass backwards into it. How does somebody get a style? How does somebody find it? What, what defines a style in and of itself? How do you know when you've got it? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. It's sort of that, that elusive thing, you know, how do you get a style? It's, uh, I think that's one of the hardest parts of uh, becoming a professional photographer. And a lot of people spend a lot of time like looking for their voice and, um, it's a sort of a process of self-discovery. Um, I think it develops over time. It will evolve uh, naturally. And uh, I guess if, you know, it is probably possible to consciously determine what your style will be and go after it that way. Um, that hasn't really been my approach. I know what I like and uh, I know how I like to do things. Even, you know, when I look at my own work, I, I'm not really sure I have a style but you know it can be hard to be um, objective about your own work so you know other people might uh, might be able to see some sort of theme or style in my work but um, it's not something that I've been conscious of but uh, yeah I think it's something that will come out over time many 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 hours of shooting and uh, eventually you know uh, I think as a photographer you'll realize what you like to shoot, how you like to shoot it. And uh, hopefully that will be uh, shown in, in your body of work. So speaking of work, you, you said you got an opportunity to shoot for Now Magazine, mm -hmm. which is a long running weekly in, in Toronto, covering a, a lot of stuff from politics to arts and entertainment, music and, and, and everything in the, in the region. Right. What's a work day look like for you there? Yeah. So I, ironically, I ended up uh, <laughs> in somewhat of a photojournalistic role, even though we you know that's not my official title, you know, photojournalist, but um, 
in many ways, it, it is uh, sort of similar. Um, obviously, the bulk of my work there is is a little bit more more portrait oriented than you know photojournalist's job would be. But um, yeah, there is no typical day. That's for sure. Every day is different. With that, with that comes the challenge of um, not necessarily knowing what you're going to shoot until last minute. So it, in that sense, um, I sort of operate as a, as a photojournalist. But um, yeah, there's no typical day. Every day is, is different. There's a lot of variety, which I actually really like. But I could be you know, in a studio one day, um, out on location on another. I could be shooting food assignments or um, you know, capturing a press conference. Yeah, it's, it's extremely varied. So what's the hardest part then about working it now and doing this? Yeah, the, it's a double-edged sword. So um, the, the very thing that makes it challenging and exciting is uh, the same thing that makes it <laughs> challenging. There's the variety, right? So um, tight deadlines. Uh, it is a weekly, so it's not, you know, it's not too bad. But um, depending on how heavy that week is, um, yeah, you've got to work fast. Uh, you might not have uh, a whole lot of time for your subjects. And uh, you might not have too much context as to what um, what it is you're actually getting into. So you have to work fast, uh, think on your feet, learn how to put people at ease pretty quickly, be adaptable. You got to be creative and, and stay calm when things go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> if things aren't working out, you got to kind of take a moment and uh, recalibrate yourself. When you're not doing stuff for now. You get you take commissions outside of oh absolutely that as well. yeah yeah freelance all the time. So how do you organize that? How how are you getting clients? Yeah yeah I mean this the, the position at now has been um, quite a blessing because I think I've gotten so much exposure just through being published on a weekly basis. I mean that's uh, you know how many photographers have the opportunity to have work published uh, weekly right? That's 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 a lot. So um, and then I get the exposure through Nell's Instagram as well. So there, there are a lot of eyeballs on my work, which, um, you know, over a couple of years, I've seen the increase in my freelance work as a result. Um, Have you ever run into problems where your journalism work is working against your client base work? Or is it because that, that you're doing so many portraits for now that you're, you're also able to show yeah, portraiture? That's the thing. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm mostly known as a portraiture photographer. So uh, most people that contact me. For freelance gigs, um, it's it's typically uh, portrait work, right? So, so that's actually yeah, it's worked in my favor. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, I get a lot of word of mouth uh, referrals. So yeah, it's all pretty much happened organically, luckily. And I've, I have been meaning to do a lot more marketing in terms of like uh, like targeted marketing towards art directors for ad agencies and such. But uh, yeah, it's kind of hard to find the time between <laughs> freelance work and now magazine. So. What what sort of stuff would you do like if you went out to a, to a, an art directors or creative directors at agencies? What, what does that kind of look like for you? Yeah, so um, typically my approach is just to um, find them on LinkedIn, and uh, you know I'll check out their personal work. I'll see if their style would mesh well with my style. If I think you know this is somebody who I could I could work with um, stylistically, if I think my work would complement uh, the work that they've done. I will typically, I'll, I'll reach out to them on Instagram or on, uh, on LinkedIn. I'll shoot them a message, just to introduce myself um, and see if we can uh, just get together for a chat. Uh, half an hour of their time, you know, um, uh, it's just a nice way to, I think, get the conversation started. And um, yeah, and if they are open and receptive, then, um, you know, might have a pitch or um, we see if there's a project coming up that we can maybe work on or collaborate on in the future. And uh, typically it's worked out really well. What about uh, getting repped? Are you repped anywhere right now with agency? 
No, no, no. Um, not repped at the moment. I, it's something that I, you know, I think every professional photographer thinks about at some point. And um, I had approached an agency um, just before the lockdown occurred and they were very um, uh, open and receptive to my work, but uh, they had a full roster at the time. Um, but it definitely was, um, it did give me some optimism in terms of uh, maybe approaching some other uh, agencies um, regarding being repped. But at this point, uh, it's sort of something I've, I've put on pause. Is there a specific kind of thing that they're looking for, or do they also want to have variety on their rosters? Yeah, they want to have variety uh, on their rosters. They don't want like 10 competing photographers. So typically there, there might be like um, two photographers that shoot food, but they maybe will shoot them in different styles. There might be like a couple of photographers that do portrait, but again, their styles are different. Um, but they, they definitely want to have a full, a well-rounded agency where they can uh, attract more clients, right? So they want someone maybe who can shoot automotive, someone who shoots food, someone who shoots fashion, celebrity. So they're, um, yeah, they're looking for a well-rounded uh, portfolio of photographers. Regardless of time being the, the major hurdle to get over, <laughs> yeah. needing oh, time to actually get out there and, and, and get your get yourself known and, and shoot some more and, and introduce yourself. What are some of the problems or issues you've run into in terms of promoting yourself? Um, I mean, cost can be a factor for sure. You know, it's not cheap to print out promo material and then to mail it to everybody. But honestly, I think that the, the major cost of um, promotion is, is time because it doesn't necessarily have to cost a lot financially. I think the best way to go about marketing is to connect with people one-on-one. Um, and I think that could be as easy as just um, reaching out with a few words uh, and, um, you know, starting things that way and then, and then get your work in front of them. I mean, if, uh, if you're someone who's sort of adverse to that route, um, then of course you could always, um, create promo materials, uh, you know, printed cards, um, you can even send your portfolio, but it's definitely going to be a little more costly. Is sending out print materials, is that a regular thing? for photographers these days i mean with everything digital out there really sending something yeah printed. i know people still do it and i think the reason you know it still works is because uh maybe it's not so common like we're so used to being bombarded by images online but photography was meant to be a tactile printed medium and for me like it's still my favorite way to digest images you know i want to see it with reflected light not light being transmitted through a monitor think photography shines best when it's you know printed and um, yeah i think people like to be surprised with with images and um, they want to connect with the images in that tactile manner that's really fascinating it's, yeah I, and it, I, it's know. still a common practice in uh, the commercial industry commercial photography industry do you get your photos printed or do you print them yourself <laughs> yeah um i yeah i used to print in school um now i get them printed but it's not something that i do often enough um but it's something that I've been meaning to do. Yeah. I'd love to have just prints laying around the house. <laughs> <laughs> Not even on the walls, just strewn. Not even on the walls. They could be all over the tables. They could just be all over the place. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> when people come over, you're just yeah, like, oh, sorry. Just like, yeah. I just have my art everywhere. <laughs> you're a guy with a couple of young kids. You've got a full-time job working with now yeah you obviously have pet projects that you want to do outside of it and you have commissions yeah there's one thing to sort of just be busy all the time but you can definitely lose drive right when you're that busy when it's that going all the time mm -hmm. how do you stay positive motivated and, and creative really in the wake of all of that output well definitely just you know seeing images that are better than yours 
is definitely what, what drives my motivation because I just want to get better and be better all the time, right? And so I'm just constantly striving to improve. And um, that's really what keeps me motivated because I, I see images all the time that I want to create. And if I'm not able to create them now, I want to be able to create them in the future. So that's, yeah, that's definitely my major source of inspiration. There's just so many incredible, talented photographers out there. And uh, I just want to be amongst them. Who are you looking at right now who you, who really excites you? Oh, oh man, that's a great question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Get out the Pinterest. You know, yeah, that's the thing. You're going to stump me now because uh, because Pinterest is, is my main source of photography uh, inspiration. I don't always know who um, who is the source for the image, so yeah, I might have to I might have to get back to you. Well, what do you think about not people not being credited properly? Let's say, like, yeah. have you ever seen your stuff ripped off and used somewhere? And all the time. Well, so, what does that? How does that feel? I know it used to bother me a lot, and uh, just now, I just I just let it go. Honestly, it's to me, it's like, uh, yeah, I try, I, I don't let it bother me to be honest. I have, I, I'd rather just like focus on creating as long as the image isn't being like used for commercial purposes. If they're just using it to like repost or to, um, you know, even if it's just like on a website or something, like if it's something small, I'm just, I don't have the energy to, to worry about it and to chase after it. It's in the grand scheme of things. It's, you know, to me, I'm just. I don't have the time and energy to put there. I'd rather put that energy in, into creating. Life life is short. Yeah. What are the avenues available to you then? I mean, can you set you send an email to them and say, "Hey, take my stuff down or credit me properly or, you know, that's my thing?" Yeah, I have done that on occasion. Um and, you know, most people are receptive. I've never had anyone um, you know, kind of get into it. Get into it with me about it. Um people are usually receptive and sometimes apologetic. Sometimes they don't even mean to do it or they they, you know, don't realize, but uh yeah, for the most part, um, a simple email or a quick message. Um, I've, I've sometimes had to message people on Instagram or whatever, but yeah, it's, uh, it's not something that like, irks me too much. Have you ever looked into, or are you, for that matter, do you think it's something that photographers in general should look into? Is, you know, for example, the Canadian copyright laws, the U.S. copyright laws, the usage rights and all that stuff. Yeah. I, I've noticed in, in video work for a lot of years, the supposition is that you make it and that at the end they own the copyright, not you. Now, that's not actually the law yeah. unless you assign those rights. And it's not necessarily in any contract. Right. I've come across a lot of you know, cinematographers who don't know their rights that way and a lot of photographers who don't know their rights. And then there's a lot of people that because so many people don't know the rights and because the clients seem to assume that they own it, that's what they're paying for, yeah. that everybody's just kind of letting them have it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that that's reproductions and copyright is the right to reproduce stuff is a, a large part of the business of the image creator, of the music creator, of the video creator. Right. And it's something that's being eroded. Yeah. Is that something that concerns you and other photographers you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, um, that's a good point. And it's very true. I think part of the problem too is just like the burden of having to educate the client and then the fear of like maybe potentially like losing a client over it. Right. Um, so I think that's, uh, somewhat of a, a prohibitive factor in, in terms of furthering the, uh, the cause of right. protecting, you know, rights in terms of photography and copyright, but, um, it's a big problem and it needs to be addressed. It's just, how do we go about addressing that? Right. Because this isn't something where a union is involved. This isn't an association. Right. Is there a photography association that everyone can join? There, there are, so there are professional associations, but I really, I think what it comes down to is like really the onus of educating the client really does come down to the photographer. So, right. So you pick your spots. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. We all do. Honestly, you, you, you speak so passionately about what 
you're doing. Like it's, that's the nice thing that I'm hearing from so many people, especially when we're talking about maybe the less passionate stuff about mm. it. Like talking about the business stuff is normally, it's, it's like eating your vegetables, right? It's like, I don't want to yeah, talk about totally. it. I don't want to do that. Yeah. But the funny thing is, is everybody actually has lots of interesting stuff about how they deal with it, why they deal mm. with it. And, and they all know it's important. There used yeah. to be a time that they, everybody thought it wasn't important or I don't, I don't want to deal with that or that's why I have a manager or that's why I have an agent. Mm-hmm. The truth of the matter is that in today's day and age, you're taking care of your entire business. And if you're not, well, you won't be in business very long. Right. It's pretty simple. Very true, yeah. Where can people find out more about you? Um, yeah, you can find me uh, through my website at samuelengelking.com. Um, I'm also on Instagram. So you can find me on Instagram at samuelengelking. And um, yeah, those are the two places you can find me. And of course, every week in Now Magazine. And Now Magazine, yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing with us how you make a living. Thanks, Roby. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Subscribe to Making a Living Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts. For more on the show, visit makingalivingshow.com or follow along at Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube at Making a Living One. Making a Living Show is produced by Next Exit Media and hosted by me, Roby Levy. Thanks for listening.